Tonight we're going to uh, take up where we left off a couple of weeks ago when I started. Um, I, I don't really want to call it a series because I'm not sure how long I'm going to dwell here. Uh, I'm just going to follow it as I uh, feel led to continue to share different things about it. Uh, but we started talking about this idea of generational transference. Um, I don't know why we get so um, concerned about it when we're, t when we're referencing the church world. You know, in our families, it's a natural thing for us to want to transfer to the next generation different things. We, we, we have wills so that we can make sure that what belongs to us gets in the right hands down the road. Uh, we take our children when they are very young and we teach them skills uh, that will help them in life. And we're very proud. I'll never forget the first time that I was able to get Jonathan to take the trash out on his own. It was a wonderful day in my life. And even now at his age, if he comes by and sees I've got a bag of trash sitting by the back door, I don't even have to ask him. He just picks it up and takes it out to the dumpster. I love that man so very much. <laughs> but you know, we're not, we're not adverse to generational transference when it comes to our families. But sometimes when we start talking about this idea of generational transference in the church, it, it's unsettling for some. It, it's like, oh, I'm losing... I'm losing control or I'm not going to be able to have what I was accustomed to or used to. And it can be traumatic as we talked last week. One of the things that we discussed two weeks ago was the fact that, that this kind of transference can actually be traumatic. It can cause us to feel like, you know, gee, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know how I, I can get settled into this mindset and uh, and it and it upsets the apple cart so to speak and we talked about two weeks ago if you'll remember we talked about the difference between change and and then transformation do you remember us talking about the difference between change and transformation uh, just to kind of open the floor up a little bit do, do you remember what the difference between change and and transformation is. Anybody remember? Let me see you. Just go ahead and tell me. Yes. Right. Right. Exactly right. Change is affected by something outside of us. Something that happens that changes uh, the way that we operate or the way that we think or the way that we do a particular thing. Uh, I, I, how many of you are old enough to remember the days when we did not have refrigerators, but we had ice boxes? Anybody remember that? And you remember that they had to bring the ice in the trucks to your house, and they had to had to get the tongs and put the ice in in, in the. Uh, you know, I'm old enough, oddly, and I think it's because I was raised in a farming community that there were people that attended our church and people that. Uh, that I knew that still had ice boxes instead of refrigerators. But how many of you are glad that you don't have to have ice boxes any longer, but that you can have refrigerators with freezers in them? Uh, how many of you remember, I can remember my mother having to defrost the freezer. Anybody have to do that? Do you remember that? 
And I mean, when she had to defrost the, ref- the freezer, she was in a bad mood for days. She was in a bad mood leading up to it and in a bad mood when it was over because it was just a, not a fun process. Aren't you glad now that you don't have to do that anymore? You don't have to do that? How many of you remember when you used to have to clean the inside of your oven? That, you know, after so long, you had to clean it yourself. How many of you know that they have now self-cleaning ovens so that you can do that? Well, what I'm trying to say to you is, is that all of those things represent change. It's something outside that affected us to the point that we have to now determine what are we going to do with that change? How am I going to live in the midst of that change? And if you still have an ice box in your house that you're using instead of a regular refrigerator, you, my friend, are the most stubborn person on the face of the earth. That's all I would say. If you're still getting down on your hands and knees and, and, and scrubbing out the inside of your oven instead of letting it self-clean, or if you're still defrosting your, refriger- your, frig- your freezer, there's something seriously wrong with your thinking process. Because those days are over. The change has taken place, and we're not ever going back to days when we have ice boxes in our house. Because if anything, we're moving forward to where even what we have now will be very different than uh, in the future than what we have now. So now we, we acknowledge this change. We acknowledge that the world around us has changed and is changing. So now I have basically two attitudes that I can have about it. I can either get stubborn and say, I refuse to change. Everyone else around me can change. Or we can say, there's a positive way for me to accept this external change that's happening in the world around me. And use it to your advantage. Now, today we're going to move forward thinking in terms of generational transference. And we're going to talk about uh, running a relay race. And we're going to talk about passing the baton. And before you get all freaked out about that and say, pastor's going to ask us to do something we're not going to want to do. The the one thing that I want you to understand is is that, that it is a team sport. That it takes everyone. It's not just putting the baton in someone else's hands. But the whole team is actively engaged and working together to win this race. So today we're going to talk more now about transference. And uh, so let's talk about it. The scripture says in Acts chapter 13, verse 36, it says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his father's and saw corruption. Now, first of all, let me explain to you what about this phrase, and saw corruption. It's talking about his physical body. It's not, talking that, it's not saying that David died in a sinful state. It's not saying that David died and God was displeased with him. It just simply means, how many of you know that, that if you live long enough to die, your body is going to decay and go back to the dust? The scripture refers to that process as corruption because the body does not remain preserved. 
If, if the Lord tarries and you're in the ground long enough, and I am, then our body will eventually decay and corrupt and break down as it were. And don't get, don't get all upset about that because you're not going to need this body anymore. When you die and your spirit is set free, you're not coming back into your body. God's going to give you a, a brand new body to work with in the future. So uh, don't worry about it. It's just dust. It, and so that's what it's talking about. But, but here's what I want you to see. David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, laid with his fathers and saw corruption. So we're all going to get to a place in life. I, I, I spent a good amount of time on the phone today with a pastor friend of mine who is not old, but he's older than me. And he was telling me today that he's 65 years of age and he's just getting to that place where he said, you know, I feel like that I'm old enough that the church is starting to think that we need a younger guy. And, and, and he said, you know, but I'm not old enough to retire and, I, and I've got all this tension in my life about should I stay, should I go, can I still be helpful if I can't be helpful here, where do I need to go? And I'm, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I'm going to wind up there one of these days and probably have the same kind of thoughts that he's having. But we all will come to a place in our lives where we realize that we're closer to the end than we are to the beginning. Now, we can get discouraged and depressed and frustrated with that, or we can say, I am smarter and wiser than I have ever been in my life. I have more knowledge and more wisdom to give than I've ever had in my life. I may not have the same energy that I had when I was 30, but I'm smarter today than I've ever been in my life. And therefore, if I'm going to go out one of these days, I'm going to go out being as effective as I can possibly be in the generation that God has put me in. So, so we, we kind of think in those terms. Now, let, let's... Um, Let's look at this idea now of the relay race. How many of you have ever watched a relay race where a team works together and they pass the baton from, from one runner to the, to the other runner? So there are six things that I want to share with you about that process. And number one is both runners must be running so that they do not lose time on the clock. So in other words, there never comes a time when we pass the baton and, and in that process that we just quit. We don't say to the other runner, come get it from me. No, if you know the process, you run, the one getting ready to pass the baton is in the rear, the one getting ready to receive the baton is in the front reaching back, the one in the rear is putting the baton forward, and the transference comes when the rear runner and the front runner are running simultaneously at the same speed. And that's when the transfer takes place. Now, oftentimes we get to this mindset, well, if I'm going to transfer it to somebody else or to another generation, I'm going to do it on my terms. And when I'm done, I'm just flat done. I'm quitting. They can have it all. But that will never win the race. 
We have to work together. We have to run together. And sometimes it means that we have to run faster than we thought we could run in order to stay up with the one who's getting ready to take the baton from us and then move forward. So both runners must be running so that they do not lose time. Now the second thing is, that we have to trust that the team member will make a timely and a smooth handoff. So if, if Sharon's up in front of me, stand up for just a second. And, and I've got the baton in my hand and I'm getting ready to hand it off to her. My goal is to put it in her hand. Now she's not looking back. She can't look back. She's got to look ahead. So she is just, she is running by faith. So it's my responsibility as the one getting to transfer the the baton to her. I have to put it in her. I can't put it out here. I can't put it over here. I can't put it up here and say, woohoo, a little higher, a little higher, a little higher. No, it's my responsibility to get the, the necessary transfer right where she can put it in her hands, grab it, and then go. So... That requires trust. Now, she didn't trust me. And you know why? (laughs) Because I pulled tricks on people before when I asked them up front. But I know that she didn't trust me because she kept looking back to me. Even though I, I told her, you can't look back. You have to keep looking forward. She kept peeking. She kept peeking back like this. Which meant that she did not trust that I had the capability or the desire to get the baton in her hand. But here's what I'm trying to say to you. For this to work properly, not only, not only do you have to get the baton out of your hand, in, transferred into the hand in front of you, the person in front can't, can't have to worry about that transfer. They have to be focused on the goal. They have to be focused on the finish line. They have to be focused on what's ahead. So he or she has to trust who's behind to get the baton right where it needs to be at the right time so that it can be grasped and then move forward. And then the one in behind has to trust That once that baton has been transferred, that you trust that individual to run the race that is before him or her. And uh, you're not going to stand there and say, go to the right, go to the left, slow down, run faster, sit down, quit. No, you're just going to stand, you're going to watch them as they move forward into the distance because you trust that they know what their task is you know that they know what lane they're supposed to run in. They know where the the finish line is. And so you trust that they're going to do that properly. And then, I've already said this, the receiving runner cannot look back and they cannot swerve into a different lane. The rules of the race state that they have to stay in the lane that they were assigned to. Now, that's the problem that we get into sometimes because when transference takes place, we sometimes say, well, I don't want to run in this this lane anymore, or I don't want to run this way anymore. 
I want to run differently. I want it to look different. I want it to feel different. I, I want to change everything. No, no, you have, to, you have to remain in the lane. Now, I've told you this several times, and, and I want to mention it again brief, briefly as it pertains to the church. Um, God has a lot of rep- representatives in this world called the church. How many of you know that the church is global in nature in the sense that uh, the church is not a, a series of buildings, but the church is a people that have been called out and selected by God to represent him in this earth. And, and there are many different expressions of the church. We're going to talk about that Sunday. So I'm going to, I'm going to be very carefully not, careful tonight not to get on to my sermon Sunday. But there are many different expressions of the body of Christ. When God spoke to Bob May, however many years ago it was, to start a church in Oklahoma, in Kentucky, he gave Bob May the vision that represented the heart of God for this community. He was the founding pastor. He was the apostle, if I can say it that way, that God used and, and put in. Now, now, Bob May didn't come in here and try to be like the church down the road. He didn't come in and try to be like another church or this church or, or that church. Bob May had heard from God, this is what we are to be. But through the years, we got away from the vision of what God had intended to be established in this community. And, so, and, and started running in a different lane. Started running in a lane that had good things about it, but was not the lane that God had assigned to this particular body of Christ and expression. So it's important to understand that every church has been assigned a lane to run in. The rules are the same. I mean, we're, we're trying to win people to Christ. We're trying to serve our communities. We're trying to love with the love of Christ. There are some things that all churches do globally because it's in the Word of God, and we all do it. But there are lanes that we run in that God has, has given to us. And when we get outside of those lanes, then we are no longer fulfilling the purpose of God, even though what we may be doing is good by nature. But we're not doing what he's called us to do. So what we have to do is we have to train the next generation so that they'll understand that once the transfer takes place, that they understand what lane that they are supposed to be running in. Now, this has nothing to do with what style of music is sung. It has nothing to do with what the church looks like in those terms, but it has to do with the purpose with which God established the church. Now, I told you when I first came here that I, that, that I have a, a book in my library, and when I first came here... It stayed on my desk all the time. It's called, it's called Turnaround Churches. And it, it's basically for pastors who come into situations like we came into here. Where we had a church that had got out of its lane and needed to get back in its lane and get turned back around in the right direction. And, and the very first thing that has to be established in every church that is being reestablished is, is that you got to go all the way back to the beginning and determine what was the original purpose 
for which the church was established. Because that's the reason God planted that church. That's the reason God gave the church the mission. That's the reason he brought the apostle with the vision who could see it and develop it and establish it. And for a church to properly be reestablished and turn around, it has to return to the roots of the vision that God gave when he initiated the whole situation. And, and so it's important then for the generation that's been around here for a while to not in, a, not in a, an aggressive way, but say, look, I don't care what style of music you sing, and I don't, care, I, I don't care about this and that and whatever, but the important thing is, is that you have to remember that God brought this church into existence to run in this lane. And if we're going to please him and be successful in what he's asking us to do, we've got to stay in our lane. Because God's already raised up another church to run in the lane that we may be trying to move into. Do, do, you, do you understand what I'm saying there? So it requires, it requires trust. Now, number four, a, a, I'm sorry, I went, I went ahead. Oh, no, I'm lost. There it is. A smooth transition requires intimate knowledge of each other's abilities. Now, I, I didn't know this until a few years ago. I just thought that the coach picked out four, five, six guys or girls and said, why don't you guys run together in this race? But I discovered later that every member of that relay team has a strength. Uh, they, for instance, they usually put the first runner out is what they call a pace runner. He or she is the one who sets the pace. Because if they go out too fast, then they won't be able to maintain that speed. They won't be able to maintain that for very long. So that first individual on the team that goes out is the pace runner. It's important if they are to do their job and do it properly, they are the ones who set the pace. I don't know, we should know that here living in Louisville and seeing the Kentucky, Kentucky Derby all the time. You know, there are pace horses out there. They don't ever expect them to win the Derby, but they're in the race in order to establish a rhythm so that those, the, 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 the super horses won't wear themselves out at the beginning, but they will pace themselves through. So you've got a pace runner. And then you've got, you, you've got someone who has real speed. And it's usually, you know, the last leg. You know, somebody who, okay, when I get that baton in my hand, I know that I'm the fastest person on this team. And it doesn't matter if we're a few paces behind because I'm fast enough that I can pick it up and I can move it to another level. But you see, the coach has to know what everyone's strength is and get them positioned in the race in such a way so that when they get the baton in their hand, they are ready to do what they are called to do. Not everybody's called to sing in the choir. Not everybody's called to teach. Not everybody's called to preach. Not everybody's called to go out and feed the homeless. Not everybody's called to work in the nursery. Not everybody's called to do the various things that I could call off tonight, but what we are called to do, we have to discover 
so that we can then be released into that calling and that ministry because that is what makes the church effective is when we are all doing what God has gifted us to do. But if I start doing what you're meant to do, and I've said this probably at least three times now, if the pastor is doing what the people should be doing, we all suffer. The days, and and when you get to the size of a church like ours is, the pastor can't do everything. He He just can't. It's never intended for the pastor to do everything. The pastor is to equip the church for the working of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has called you to do something. It becomes my responsibility to be able to discern what you're called to do and then equip you to do it and then release you to go do it. You don't have to call me every time that God calls you to do and minister to somebody. Somebody just recently told me. They said they were sitting in church a couple of weeks ago and felt led by the Holy Spirit to sow seed into someone else in this church. They just, just felt like I need to do it. They didn't ask my permission. They didn't come up at, before church and say, would it be okay if I did this? I didn't even know about it until they told me about it a couple weeks later. And so what I'm saying to you is that when God, by his Holy Spirit, prompts you to be active in your gift, consider yourself released to do what God has called you to do. You don't have to have my permission. Because if God has really called you to it, and he puts you in this body as a vital member of this local church, then it's going to work together to serve and edify the mission that we're on. And it's going to work in the lane that it's supposed to work in. So, so let's move next now. Number five, there must be clear instructional communication. I, I, I Just a few uh, weeks ago, a few days ago, Rick Patino was uh, being interviewed, and uh, he, he may not be being interviewed very much longer here in Louisville. We'll have to wait and see about that. But, but at any rate, they were asking him what went wrong in the game. How, do, how could they lose a game that they were supposed to win? And he said, it's very simple. He said, that it was a lack of communication. He said, we've got young guys on our team that don't talk to each other. He said, and if they don't talk to each other, said they won't know that somebody's open over here. Or they won't know that someone's cutting down the middle and ready to receive a pass. They, they're, they're not communicating with each other. And when you don't communicate, you're not effective. And so what he's, what he's trying to say is, is that we've got to teach these guys that you can't always just rely on your skill and your ability. Sometimes you have to communicate what is getting ready to happen if it's going to happen successfully. So there has to be communication in the rest, in the, in the race. And then it requires strict adherence to the rules of the race. In other words... Uh, you, you, you know, you can't reach up to the guy that's running in front of you and pull their, their britches down in the middle of the race. It's just against the rules. You just can't do that. You'll get disqualified. You can't get up close to them and stick your, your leg out and trip them and, and make them fall. It, it's against the rules. 
You can't get close enough to them that you say, okay, I'm going to tackle them and then I can get up faster then and keep on running and win the race. No, it's against the rules. You, you have to play by the rules. Isn't that right? And so if you're going to be successful in this, in this race, you're going to have to run by the rules and, and, and adhere to the rules. Okay, let's, let's move on now and see if I can get this thing to work for me. Uh, Jesus handed off to the disciples. The disciples handed off to Paul. Paul handed off to Timothy. And Timothy handed off to the churches that he was assigned to. And so from the very beginning, Jesus established this concept of transference. Do you remember him saying, the things that you've seen me do, you will do. And in fact, greater things than these shall you do, for I'm going to the Father. In other words, there will come a time when I'm going to step back out of the way and release you. And the anointing that is going to flow through you will be greater than it ever was when it was flowing through me in this body. Now, you know, that, that's amazing to me to, to think that Jesus has released us to not just copy what he did, but to be creatively involved in things that are more effective and that have a wider reach than the things even that Jesus did. So there is this concept of handing off to others. Now, a couple of quotes here. Uh, George Bernard Shaw said, Life is no brief candle to me. It is a sort of splendid torch which I got a hold of for the moment. And I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations. In other words, you do your best work so that when the transference takes place, you will be handing off something of great value. And then uh, another quote is, nothing feels better than seeing a vision that you helped birth be passed on into the capable hands of others. I don't know about you, but I want my work to count for something. I want my labor to make a difference, not just in my generation, but in the generations to come. I, 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 you know, I sometimes think about when I was a young guy and the way that I did things and the way that the church did things. And I, Many years ago, we, we planted a church in Charleston, Illinois, and uh, it, it did well. In fact, one year, our denomination gave us an award at camp meeting for being the fastest growing church of God congregation in Illinois. Woohoo! You know, big, big thing. It was kind of cool. And God was blessing. And that was the church where we had a pedophile that was in the church. And we didn't know it until he got arrested. And when he got arrested... Uh, boy, the journey got tough in a hurry. It really did. And after kind of working through it, being on TV, I used to literally hide behind buildings when I would see uh, the news crews coming because I, it, I didn't want them to find me. I didn't want to be, it's like, I'm going to get back here until they drive on by kind of thing. It was, it, it was a small farming community. It was a big deal. This guy was well known in the community really was a big deal. And we dealt with it. We did everything we could do. The, the, the offices in Decatur sent me uh, seasoned veterans to mentor me and, 
help me walk through it. But there came a place and a time when the overseer just said to me, he said, I can see that you are absolutely exhausted and worn out. He said, and for your health and for your ministry's sake, you need to move and go to another assignment and let someone else come in here. And he was over me and the Lord, and so that's what we did. The guy that came in and followed me basically put the church in a coffin and nailed it shut, and they ended up having to close the church down because of some of the ways that it was handled after we left. Now, I'm not trying to say that had we stayed that things would have been different, but I've always wondered, you know, about should I have stayed in that situation or did I do the right thing by going? And, and, and my, my point is this, is that it, it wasn't set up to succeed because there was no proper transference. And, and I, I sometimes feel like that the years that we spent there were almost wasted because we worked so hard to establish a life-giving, growing church in that community. And somehow it just kind of all folded. And the reason that it did was because of this very issue. There was no proper transference when it came time for that to take place. And so what I'm saying to you is, is that in, in situations there are times that, that transference is necessary, but we have to prepare in advance to be ready, not just to say, okay, I'm done, uh, my, my time came and my time's gone and now you younger generation, boy, you're going to have to just take it, I did my thing. No, take them by the hand, mentor a few young couples that are around here who have respect for you and say something like this to them, I may not always be around here, I'm going to work as long as I can and as hard as I can to see that this church is successful in carrying out the mission that God has given it. But when the day comes that I'm no longer able to do that, I want you to be able to carry on the vision that God has established in the DNA of this church. So nothing feels better than seeing a vision that you helped birth be passed on into the capable hands of others. And one, one more. Christianity is always just one generation away from extinction. Jesus' mission has always depended on one generation of leaders handing the mission to the next. Where they have done so effective, effectively, their churches and their ministries have continued to thrive. So I, I'm not trying to say to you that I want you to prepare to quit because that's not it. We don't ever quit. We always keep running the race until we have nothing left, no breath left in us. And then we move on to our eternal reward. But what I am saying to you is, is that when we get to, when you get to a certain place and when I get to a certain place, we need to be able to discern that transference will come at some point. So how am I going to train someone to do what I've done around here? Bill and I just had this conversation. We've now for several months been, we've had two people who work in that crow's nest every Sunday. One's John Medcraft and one's Bill. Bill runs the sound. John runs everything that comes across these, these screens. That's all we have up there. 
And we don't have anybody else. And I told Bill today, I said, if you catch the stomach virus that I had last week and can't come to church this week, who's going to run the sound? Because we don't have anyone. We don't have anybody trained to do that. So we selected one of the young men in the church. And I talked to Bill about it. I said, we've got a young man who's been coming to our church for quite some time now. He's not plugged into any other areas. I think he would do well. His name's David Laswell. I said, I'm going to introduce you to David. I said, I'd like for you to bring him upstairs and train him on the sound and then train him on the computer so that when the, if the time ever comes, we've got somebody as backup. Now, that's an example of what I'm saying. Bill's not mad about it. Bill's not going to go home tonight and say, well, pastor's trying to replace me. Bill's going to say, I realize that I may not always be here to turn these knobs. So we need someone who can turn them not only as good as I can, but better than I can. Because as technology changes, we're going to have to have some pretty bright people up here to know how to work this equipment that we're going to have to have to do what we're supposed to do. So that's the point that I'm trying to make here. It's not about finding a place to jump off the train. It's about finding someone that you can train or to help to help guide it and, and drive the train when that time comes. It's called generational transference. And so the next week we'll talk maybe a little bit more about how that David came to a place in his life. We started with this thought after he had served the purposes of God in his generation. Then he laid down, he died, and his body saw corruption. But after that happened, then his son stepped into the role and picked up the dream and the destiny that God had planted in David's heart. And because David had mentored him and David had trained him, he was able then to take that vision and run forward with it and complete what was started in David's heart but was completed later in his son's life. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you that we are a part of what you're doing. I'm, I'm very grateful that you have brought me to this place in my life and given me the knowledge that I need and the wisdom that I need to be able to see that one of the most important things that I can do in my life right now is to take someone under my wing and teach them and train them and show them the things that you have allowed me to learn in my life. Because, Lord, the legacy of this church is at stake. The legacy of my personal ministry is at stake. Our legacy is at stake. And I don't want it to end with us. I don't want it to end with me. I don't want it to end in any way. But I want these young couples that you have placed in this body to be able to stand right with us and receive the baton as we put it in their hands, and then to run with the anointing that you have blessed them with. Father, I thank you, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.